Let's go together to Paul's letter, his first letter to the church at Thessalonica, chapter four. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him according to the Lord's word. We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. God. I gotta share something real fast before we start. It's silly, it's real silly. I was the, you know, I have every Saturday night the same kind of dreams about me not having something to preach about. I've got those kind of unprepared dreams where you, you dream like, oh, I don't have my sermon, or I'm late, or people don't, everybody left, and it's just like me by myself. Well, I had my dream this week on a Friday night, which never happens. And in the dream, somebody gave the announcements for 30 minutes. And then Wilson, and then Wilson led us in a stirring rendition on the first night of Advent of Get Jiggy With It by Will Smith. Yeah. And I was so mad at him. And I told him about it, he thought it was funny. So he told me the past couple of days that he was gonna do it, like just start, like the whole time I'm expecting this worship service to begin with Get Jiggy With It. So I'm glad it didn't, but just a little humor as we begin our sermon this morning. All right, you missed your moment, buddy. You know, about 198 years ago, well before Get Jiggy With It was ever released, two days before Christmas in 1863, an anonymous poem appeared in the newspaper in Troy, New York. It was entitled, A Visit from St. Nicholas, but you probably know it better by the first line. "'Twas the night before Christmas." Have you ever read that book to your kids? Have you ever read that as a child? Have you ever heard this poem? There's some minor controversy about who the anonymous author that submitted it was, but most people think that it was a man named Clement C. Moore. Moore resisted taking credit for the poem for 14 years because he was afraid it would, um, it, it would make it, his prestige a little lower because he had translated Hebrew to English dictionaries and was afraid his reputation as professor in the ancient languages would take a hit, which it actually did a little bit. Clement Moore was not only a gifted scholar who published a two-volume Hebrew to English dictionary, he was also a philanthropist. He gave the land for which the oldest Episcopal church in America was built. Two Pulitzer Prize-winning historians once wrote about his poem, The Twas Night Before Christmas. They are arguably the best-known verses ever written by an American. So whereas he was afraid to take credit for it because he's afraid of how it tarnished his legacy. 500 words or so are the things that we remember him most by. But to be honest, I, I've never really gotten the night before Christmas. It's a nice poem, but it's never really sat with me very well because there's a part of me that just doesn't understand how somebody could go to sleep on Christmas Eve so easily. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. On the one hand, the sensible thing to do the night before Christmas is to go to sleep. Sure. You've been waiting all year. 
You've been, uh, maybe all month, you've been asking for presents and toys. You, you've been expecting that God's going to be, or that, that, that some Santa Claus is going to bring you something. You, you've expected that, you know, you've got the cookies set out. It's time to go to bed. I mean, we all know that Santa cannot come until we've all fallen asleep. But on the other hand, you're so filled with excitement. You're so filled, you're just so jazzed about all, all that tomorrow will be. There's this, there's this tough, we, we know that we can't, Santa won't come until we fall asleep, but we, but we also can't fall asleep. Have you, have you ever been there? Just so excited about something, but you know the fastest way to get to it is to fall asleep, but you just can't make it happen. I mean, you're laying in bed, you're like, well, what if I oversleep? What if I'm not the first of my siblings to make it downstairs in the morning? What if it, like eight o'clock passes and I haven't opened one present yet? Then you get nervous so you can't fall asleep. What if you think maybe this is one of those like once in a hundred years where in South Alabama it actually snows and you get one of those white Christmases and you don't want to miss the first flurries. You want to be there. You want to, so you get anxious and you can't fall asleep or maybe like that one lucky person the night before Christmas gets to hear on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. Maybe you'll be the one who gets to turn your head towards the fireplace just in time to see old Saint Nick coming through and maybe he will give you a wink and an eye and a twist of the head and you will know in your soul there is nothing to dread. It seems like the sensible thing to do is the only thing we can't do in that moment, right? Seems like we're so excited that we can't fall asleep. And I, I feel like as I've gotten older in life, you know, that might be less true, and I'm worried because I think if it's easy to fall asleep on Christmas Eve, then perhaps we've forgotten what we're waiting for. And I think that that applies not just to the presence we expect on Sunday mornings, but when we lose the anticipation of what Christmas means and we fall asleep so easily, have we forgotten what we're still waiting for today? Today is the first Sunday in Advent, and it's a day for remembering. Today is a day for remembering everything that we are waiting for. Every year here at Dauphin Way, we celebrate the seasons of the church. The liturgical calendar guides a lot of what we do around here. And each time around this year, we, we celebrate and we remember the good news of Jesus from beginning to end. In Lent, we talk about as we prepare for the cross and we get ready for the tomb. Last week was the end of the Christian calendar with Christ the King Sunday. But today we begin a new year, a new Christian year. And we remember that the good news did not begin at the cross. It didn't even begin in the womb of Mary. The good news of Jesus began with waiting. It began with waiting. And just as the world was once waiting for Jesus to arrive, here we are again waiting. And this season reminds us that we are waiting for the second coming of Christ. We are waiting for the day when heaven and earth will be made one. When the kingdom of God will be known here as it is in heaven. Each year at Advent, we sing and we light candles of peace and love and joy. And today we light the candle of hope. We're waiting for the day where swords will be beaten into plowshares. Every tear will be wiped away. We're waiting for the day when wonders of his love and mercy will reign and every place that was ruled by fear will be ruled by fear no more. Today we're remembering 
But the world is waiting. It's like, it's like the championship has already been won. But we're just we're waiting for the banners to be hung. We're waiting for the parade to come. But the danger in this waiting is that there's always a possibility we might forget what we're waiting for. In the days before Clement Moore, in like the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, for centuries before, the church during the season of Advent always remembered and read about the four last things. It was the tradition of the church that during the month of Advent, we would remember death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And I'll admit, th those sound a little strange to talk about as we get ready for Christmas, right? We see the, the commercials on the TV, we're singing our holly jolly songs, we go to the pageants and the parades and, we, and have all this joy. So the idea of talking about these things might seem strange or even scary or inappropriate during this season. But maybe that's the sign of how much we've forgotten. Perhaps our forefathers in the faith got it right and that this is the perfect time to talk about those things. That's why this series is called While We're Waiting. Because for these four weeks, we're going to consider these four things, these last things. And I think it makes sense because in the days in which light is the shortest, in the season when the days are the shortest, doesn't it make sense to celebrate the light of Christ in the darkest time of the year? In the time in which we, we have the least amount of day to see we remembered that Christ has given us the ultimate sight and the vision that penetrates through the darkness and no darkness could overcome him. Perhaps it is Christ who reminds us and who lets us know that we have hope rather than fear and that we do not have to be afraid of these last things, rather these things that often cause concern and dread are things we have to fear no more because of Jesus. I think as Christians, we've forgotten how to talk about hope and longing for Christ's return because we let our fears take hold and overtake our ability to hope and long. We let us being scared of the future, us being scared of the unknown, take away our chance to hope, take away our chance to believe, to have an actual faith. What is faith believing in that which cannot be seen? But what if in this season, in this season that the world defines about what we want, I want this present, I want this gift, I want this whatever, what if we let Advent be the thing that helps us to see what God wants? How's opposed, how about opposed to just our longing for other things? We focus on the things for which God longs. I think that's what these four last things can teach us. I mean, maybe that is why Advent is the perfect time to consider them, because in the waiting of Advent, we see more of what God longs for. And I think through that, we can learn to hope for the same things. We can learn to hope for what God hopes. That's what Paul is talking about to the church at Thessalonica. He's realized that they have forgotten how to hope. We just read from this, what we call First Thessalonians, and it was written to people who'd been waiting a long time. 
it says in this book, in this letter, that we don't have an exact clear time in which this letter was written, but it was written as the first generation of Christians were passing away and the second generation of Christians were rising up. The first generation had been dying out for some time, and this was troubling both to, to their peers and to those who were coming after them because all of them expected that Jesus would have returned before they died. They were all sitting around waiting for when is Jesus going to be back. Many of them had been waiting as though Christ might return any minute. And then there were those who were living that were worried about what had happened to those that had gone on before them. What about those that have died? Are they going to miss out? What if Jesus comes back after they've died? Paul, what happens to them? And that's the, that's the season, that, that's the spirit into which Paul begins to teach. He begins to tell these Thessalonians, he says, let me tell you a little bit about hope. They're sitting there worried about what has happened to those who have gone before them. And he says, let me teach you about hope. Because for Paul, hope is more than some vague sense of optimism. It's not just a, an upbeat spirit. It's more than just a resilience. They're like, we'll try that again. That's not hope. Hope is waiting with intent. Let me say that again. Hope, if you're wondering what hope is, what does it mean to hope? It's when you are waiting with intent, and particularly with the intention of seeing a promise fulfilled, of something you know that's been promised to you will come to fruition. You hope for something that you believe in. You hope for something that you expect to happen. Paul says we have a specific promise from Jesus, a promise that those who die in Christ will be resurrected in the new bodies, in new and glorious bodies when he returns. That's what he tells the people in Thessalonians. He says that what you are waiting for, what you're waiting for is to wonder and to know what happens to all those saints who rest in heaven and what they too are waiting for. They are waiting for the day of resurrection. We are all waiting for the day when Christ will come again. Paul says to the Thessalonians, you can grieve, but do not grieve as if you have no hope. Remember what you're waiting for. Remember what those who have gone before you were waiting for. You were waiting to catch Jesus coming down from heaven. Why do you stop waiting just because it hasn't happened? Paul says you are waiting for him to move, for Jesus to act, and for Christ to come, and to set these things right. For him, he was reminding them, remember, this is what we believe in. This is our intent. This is the things that we expect to happen because Jesus promised them. And we don't give up on that just because time has passed. We believe that Christ will come again. So if you grieve, don't grieve as if you have no hope. Paul says, if your hope is in Jesus, then you have no chance of missing out. And then he uses what is one of my favorite metaphors to talk about what it means to die in Christ. He says, it's like sleeping. It's like if you're able to go to sleep the night before Christmas. It doesn't matter what time you go to sleep or if you're awake. The time it takes to get to 6 a.m. is the exact same, or my house like 4.30 a.m., let's be honest. The time it takes to get from one hour to the next is the same whether you are awake or asleep, except for you and your experience. The time itself doesn't change the way you experience it does. And so for those who've gone on before us, it's like they're asleep. And when they wake, it might be as if a moment has passed. When here on earth, it could be hundreds of years. 
but we know that together we will all experience the resurrection of the body. To die in Christ means to live eternal. And he says, you won't have to worry about missing that alarm clock because when the trumpets blast and the voice of the archangel shouts out, Paul says that no one will sleep any longer. We will all be wakened to be one with Christ. Those who have died will be alive again and those who are alive will follow them to the throne. And as the letter finishes up, Paul says to the church, there are worse things than falling asleep. There are worse things than going on before. Paul tries to tell us, he said, all of you are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to night or darkness. So then let us not sleep like the others, but let us stay awake and stay sober and comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure no one repays a wrong with a wrong, but always pursue the good for each other and everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in every situation because this is what God's will is for you in Christ Jesus. Paul is far less afraid of dying than he is afraid of sleeping through life. There will be a time when we will all sleep, but it's not now for most of us. If you're in this room and you can hear my voice, then you are awake. So be awake. Be awake and see that God calls us to more than fear. God calls us to more than just hoping for things that will not last. God says, live the life to which I have called you. Don't be so afraid of death that you do not live. When do we let the fear of dying take over our ability? to be the people God has called us to be. So let me ask you this morning, do you remember that for which we hope? Actually, I think a better question is, what what are the things for which you are hoping? Are you hoping for the promises to be fulfilled that Jesus gave to us? Are you hoping for the everlasting life, for the resurrection of the dead, for the kingdom of heaven to be known on earth? Are you hoping for those things that are temporary? Are you putting your hope in those things that will not last? Are all of your efforts and energies and focus and attention given to the things that are temporarily satisfactory, but eternally will leave you longing? This is the Sunday of hope. And hope is not some temporary optimism where we get some present we wanted and life is then perfect. Hope is waiting with intent for promises to be fulfilled. And as Christians, we remember the promise that Jesus gave for us that in Christ, there is no death. In Christ, there is eternal life. And we can consider that on Advent because it's good news. And we do not have to fear that which lies before us or those that have gone on. What we have to fear is acting like we're dead while we're actually alive. So this Advent, I pray that we will be the people remembering what we're waiting for. We will remember the promise that God has given us and that nothing can shake that promise. Nothing can change that promise. God's promises are eternal and everlasting. And nothing will separate you from that promise. Nothing will separate you from the love of God, not heights or depths, 
Nothing in this world or in the world to come will separate you from the love of God. So let us wait with intent for Jesus, both as we remember those who waited for Christ to come the first time and now as we wait for Christ to come again. And let us wait with confidence that nothing, not even death itself, will keep us from seeing that glorious morning where we will all awake together and enter the throne room of God.